The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? I mean, for reality, are your garments spotless? Have you earnestly sought the holiness of God? Have you spent days or weeks, years, earnestly preparing for eternity? 
we begin today a thanksgiving study. Gratitude for all that God has done for us. A determination that we're going to follow him with all of our hearts. We're not going to turn back. I want to go into some very deep water. I urge you, take some notes. Get a Bible. You need to see these things for yourselves. Now, I confess to you, for many, many years, I did not understand these deep things of God. I'm even shy today of of diving into this, lest I not represent appropriately the Word of God. But it is a treasure store, and I want to open those treasures to your heart. I have a great thirst in my soul for Jesus. I have a great hunger in my heart for Jesus. When we go to the book of Genesis, let me read for you this part. Genesis, the first chapter. I'll begin with verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then in chapter 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. Then we come to this, this tragic third chapter where the whole course of the human race was changed. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Suddenly, the serpent comes to two beings... Adam is there, but he keeps his mouth shut. That was his first sin. He should have spoken to his wife and said, Honey, do not listen to this serpent. And they should have driven the serpent out of the garden. But he's quiet. He lets his wife deal with this devil. Now, Adam and Eve are holy, and they are righteous. They have been made in the image of the Almighty God. The God of heaven is righteous and holy without sin. 
And so now Adam and Eve, holy and righteous before God, begin to listen to the serpent's tale. They are seduced by what he says. And she sees that this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. It's desirable for gaining wisdom. And she takes some and she eats it. She also gave her husband some. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them are opened and they suddenly realize that they have become naked. They become unclothed and they are filled with shame. They're naked. They have broken covenant with God. Some of you, you want to follow Jesus. And you say you're a Christian. And you, now as a Christian, see that there is a work to be done. And so you kick into gear and you go start doing all of that work. You start ministering in the church. You start going to the abortion clinics. You start doing what needs to be done for the kingdom of heaven. Unfortunately, as you go about doing everything that needs to be done for the kingdom of God, you're doing it as a Christian, but you are doing it as a partner with God. You're doing it as a friend of God's. Like a friend needs help, I go help him. And we partner. If we move more deeply into the scriptures, we discover that this is not what God wants from us. He's not looking for partners in ministry. He's looking for men and women who will say, I will only receive from the hand of God what he wants to give to me, what he chooses to give to me. I will only do that which the Holy Spirit directs me to do and empowers me to do. And I will do it not as a partner with God, but as a slave, a doulos slave of God's. Now, the Apostle Paul called himself a doulos slave. James, the brother of Jesus, the first pastor of the New Testament church, called himself a doulos in the Greek, the slave of God. Some translate it servant of God, but it means literally slave. No right to property, no right to ownership of anything, no right to family, no rights at all. Everything belongs to the master. You are the property of the master. Jude also calls himself the doulos of God, of Christ Jesus. So men and women today will go out as partners of God and they will expend energy and they will do some wonderful things. And so we see today in the institutional church in America, 
we see today in the ministry of most outreach groups. They're doing it because it needs to be done, not because it is moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because they have been directed by the Holy Spirit to go do these things. So today in the body of Christ, we have people who partner with Jesus, and then we have do lost slaves of Jesus. Now this man, Adam and Eve, he and his wife have broken covenant with God, and now they're being told of the curses that are coming upon them, And part of the curse that comes upon them is that they must go out and earn their bread by the sweat of their brow. In other words, now they're going to go out and they're going to partner with God in creating something in the world. But now they are sinner creatures. They're no longer righteous. And so the offspring that they are going to have will be from sinful creature to sinful creature because each creation brings forth after its kind. Adam and Eve are no longer covered. They're no longer dressed. They are naked. They have broken covenant. They are cast out of their home. They are broken in shame. Now they are filled with fear, Now they are out of touch with God. There is loneliness and remorse. There is bewilderment. There is loss of faith. There is the love of violence, as seen with Cain. Now the first cities begin to be built. Now we see... total turning to the devil. And so in our culture today, every unclean thing is rising up. Every unclean thing is pouring forth in America. The vile, everything of vile wickedness. Marriage is cast down. Lying, cheating, stealing. It's all necessary to accomplish what we want, and we must have what we want. There is ease and comfort in wickedness. And dare anybody stand up and say, we're going to reduce the size of government. We're going to stop the entitlement. We're going to create jobs. That person is feared. The whole order is being upset. See, we have made in America government our God. For many people, government is God. (coughs) Pardon me. Government is God. As I look at all of this and I see the wickedness of man, 
I see the desperation of the human heart. Then comes the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is that sure word that Jesus Christ has plans for us. Wonderful plans. And I would like to open for you today some of those wonderful plans that God has for us. I've always been interested in the book of Ephesians. I remember I was in seminary and a professor was preaching in a local church, and so I went to listen to him preach. And he preached on the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. I tried to understand him, but I could not make sense out of his words. They seemed foreign to me. They didn't, they didn't connect with anything that I knew. And I sat there through this sermon wondering, what in the world is he talking about? I don't understand. Later, as a pastor, I would read the book of Ephesians and then I would try to talk with other pastors. And I found that there was a a widespread, total misunderstanding of the book of Ephesians. It was many years before I even tried to preach on the book of Ephesians. I felt utterly inadequate. I was not certain I was understanding even yet what the book of Ephesians was trying to say to me. See, the book of Ephesians is the book of the church. I've learned that there is no salvation outside of the church. Now, the church is the ecclesia in the Greek. In the Greek city-states, they would have gatherings outside of the city where the citizens would enter into the democracy of the city. They were called out of the city to the meeting. And the word church is literally the called out ones. The called out ones. So the church is not an institution. It's not an organization. The church is the people. The church is where two or three gather in the name of Jesus, and there he is. So the church can be thousands gathered, or it can be two or three gathered. And if it's just you, the first call on your life is to create church, to call others out of the darkness into the light so they can come in and be church with you. There is only salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the church. 
Now, the book of Ephesians talks about the church. I'm going to try to explain very carefully and slowly these basic concepts of what the church is and what the work of Christ was to create the church. The book opens with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by means of the will of God. The word apostle comes from the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of Israel, when a person was sent from the Sanhedrin to deliver the verdict in a case, that person was called an apostle. And so Paul is saying Jesus Christ has appointed him by the will of God to deliver the verdict of God on our lives. And then it's addressed to the holy ones, the saints, being in Ephesus, ones who are faithful to Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, grace to you, he is literally saying, the divine influence of God to cause you to choose to turn away from sin This grace I'm sending to you. So we know immediately he's going to be talking not about a blanket covering over our sin, but he's going to be talking to us about the divine influence of God that begins to function in a person's life to turn them away from all sin. And peace from God. Peace or shalom means the full provision of God not lacking in anything. And then he begins in verse 3. Praise be to God, or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one having blessed us with every conceivable spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Now let me try to tell you what that's saying. Every gift in the heavenly realm has been made available to you and to me, to all of the human race. Heaven has opened its door to the human race. The human race chose to serve the devil. It entered into fear and destruction. It entered into the wickedness of the human heart as it lusts after the fruit of darkness, bitterness, anger, sexual lust, lying, stealing, ambition, grasping for for my life. Every conceivable spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus has been made available to us. Why? He answers that question. Verse 4, just as he and no other, in other words, just as Jesus Christ picked us out in him 
before the foundation of the world for us to be holy. Before the foundation of the world and at the creation, we were in him. It was Jesus who was the creator God. John, the first chapter, the gospel of John, the first chapter, Hebrews, the first chapter, and Colossians, the first chapter, all tell us that Jesus was the creator God. In the beginning was God. And God created. That was Jesus who created. He is the creator God. There is only one God. We serve one God who manifests himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But let's be clear. There is only one God. He picked us or he chose us in him before the foundation of the world for us to be holy. It was God's intention that we be righteous and holy. He created us righteous and holy without sin. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden without any sin. Now let's be clear. If Adam and Eve could live without any sin, you and I can also live without any sin. But you'll quickly say, but pastor... We are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, so we were born into sin. Yes, we were. But look at this with me. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world for us to be holy and blameless before him in love. That was his design for us, to walk in love, to walk in peace, to walk blameless without any of the devil's attributes, lying, killing, stealing, uncleanness. It was God's purpose that we should live in this incredible love with him, having predestined us unto sonship through Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he highly favored us in the one having been beloved. Now let's break that down. There is a scriptural predestination. But it is not for an individual to an eternal destiny. Predestination in Scripture is for the church, to holiness, to righteousness, to true knowledge of God. If we go to the book of Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians, the third chapter. Let's begin with 
let's begin with verse 8. But now you did also voluntarily put off all these things, anger and wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth. You must not lie to one another. Having already put off the old man with his practices and having already put on the new man, the one being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of the one having created him. In other words, Colossians is saying, look, you can be returned to what he is describing here by God's sovereign choice for all of mankind. Blameless. So God's choice from eternity was that there would be a holy, blameless people in the image of his Son. So today the church gets to participate in that biblical holiness predestined from eternity. That's what we get to look forward to. And that's what we get to enter into now. But I want to show you this. I want to show you this in the scripture. Let's go back to Ephesians. The first chapter, verse 7. In whom we have the redemption by means of his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he granted richly unto us in all conceivable wisdom and understanding, having made known to us the mystery of his will. What is the mystery of his will? that all things be brought together under Christ Jesus. That's to happen right now. But let's look at verse 7 very carefully. Now, please understand what I'm saying for you is that the first chapter of the book of Ephesians is the chapter of thanksgiving and praise. It is the thanksgiving celebration It is what we are thankful for before Almighty God. We are thankful for all of the gifts of heaven that have been poured out for us. But please understand, these gifts are not, first of all, physical gifts. They are spiritual gifts. They are heavenly gifts. They are available for us. But now they're hard to understand because most of us have lived for so long in the physical realm, thinking only about physical issues, housing, the car, what we're going to eat, who we're going to love, how we're going to accomplish our ambitions, what the latest sportscasters are saying what the football teams are doing. We've been 
caught up by the seduction of our of our modernity of our of our modern culture of of the wickedness that has arisen out of all of this so that our attention is on our cell phone and not on Jesus our attention is on the television and not on Jesus our attention is dragged away and we are captivated by our sin now please i'm not teaching gnosticism i'm not saying the flesh is wicked and we're righteous inside just the opposite we have to be made righteous inside and out if we are going to be in jesus now let's become very very practical in whom that is in jesus we have the redemption what does redemption means it means to be bought back it means ownership When Jesus died on Calvary, he bought us back for himself. We belong to him. By means of his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But now, we need to look at this word very carefully because literally in the Greek... The word is aphison. It is a word used that is vital in the meaning of atonement. Blood being shed. That blood being shed results in our being able to have that aphemy, the removal of sin. Look at Matthew 26, 28. In whom we have the redemption by means of his blood, the removal of sins. And apart from the shedding of blood under the law, there is no forgiveness or removal of sin. Now, where there is Removal, and you might want to look at Hebrews 9, verse 22. Jot it down, Hebrews 9, verse 22. Where there is removal or not just forgiveness, it's much stronger than forgiveness. You understand, if if I come to you and I do something harmful to you and I say, oh, please, I apologize, please forgive me. Yes, I'll forgive you. And then tomorrow I do the same thing. Oh, please forgive me. Jesus said, forgive your brother 99 or 77 times 7, I think it was. Infinity. Forgive, forgive, forgive. But aphemy means something different. It means to remove that sin so that we don't go back and commit that sin again. It's a key meaning for our understanding of what these gifts of Jesus will do for us in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, where it begins to talk about the church. The church is formed around Jesus Christ. He is the heart and center of the church. He is not the heart and center of the sinner. 
He is the heart and center of those who are called by him, who respond to that call and have their sins removed. Sin and guilt are inseparable. Both must be removed or both must remain. You cannot have your sin removed and still be in guilt. Aphemy is not a legal act to declare, to forgive. The term literally means in the Greek that the sin is removed from us. When we have Christian experience in mind, forgive means to pardon or to remit as an offense or a debt, to overlook the debt, to treat the offender as not guilty. Forgive is terminology of the law that cannot remove sin now. And it is therefore substandard to the New Testament Christian faith. The blood of Jesus Christ does not declare us righteous. The blood of Jesus Christ makes us righteous. Thus, forgiveness does nothing for the offender except he is treated as not guilty. But, of course, it did change the one who forgave. He felt differently about the matter and treated his offender as if he were not guilty. Something takes place in God when he forgives us. But nothing of real change takes place in me. So, an as-if meaning usurps the great salvation realities of deliverance from sin by removal. So, the essence of salvation is destroyed by believing that I am forgiven and my sin is remitted, but I am just the same as I was before. That is the lying teaching of the New Testament, of the New American Church, not the New Testament Church. The New Testament Church believed that the sin was removed from us. We no longer went back to it. It was removed. Now, Ephesians talks about the incredible gift of having redemption by means of his blood and the removal of sins according to the richness of his grace. According to the grace, the divine influence of God that causes us to turn away from our sin because the sin is removed by the blood of Jesus. Now, I've talked about this many times on the air, but I've never really gone into this deeper meaning. And it's time we went deep. 
and began to study out and see the lies we've been taught today that cause us to have no power, that cause us to continue to walk in wickedness before God, even while calling ourselves Christians. It says, He granted richly unto us in all conceivable wisdom and understanding, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself in the course of management of the fullness of the time periods to gather together all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon earth in association with him, in whom also we were appointed as heirs, having been predestined according to the purpose of the one working at all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, the church, Paul's not saying, I was predestined. It's the church that's predestined. It's the predestination that God will have a holy, righteous people who will not be walking in sin, but will literally be righteous before him. In Colossians, the second chapter, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are in him having been made complete, having been made complete in righteousness, in holiness, who is the head of all rule and authority, in whom... You were also circumcised with a circumcision not of human origin by the stripping off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision done by Christ. In other words, you were bought by Christ. And when you were bought by Christ, he began removing all sin from you. Not forgiving, that is, legally remitting it, so now you're as if you had never sinned. He begins the process of, according to Colossians, the second chapter, beginning with verse 9 through verse 12, he begins the process now, of stripping off the body of flesh, the sin of Adam, the sin of your heart. He begins a process of making you righteous, innocent. Dikasune is the word used for righteousness in the Greek. The literal meaning of the word dikasune in the Greek it is to, to render righteous. You know, when you render a piece of meat, you put it in water and you boil it. You boil the fat out of it. Dikasune means that you are rendered and the sin is boiled out of you. But if I say to you, no... 
I'm forgiven. It's just as if I hadn't sinned, but I continue to sin. My sin has not been removed from me. I have not been made righteous. I am not allowed to enter into Jesus Christ. I am separated from him. I am living in the Adamic mold of Adam and of Eve, the wickedness of heart. It is God's purpose to remove all sin from your life. This is not done by white-knuckling it. This is done not through self-labor. This is done as we submit to Jesus Christ and we earnestly begin to seek after him. We are hungry for Jesus. I was talking with Brother Kevin, our producer, before the broadcast. I said, I feel like I've barely yet begun to enter into Jesus. There's so much more. His love is so great. His love is poured out with such compassion and such mercy for me and for you, for his church. I don't want to grieve Jesus. I need not just to be forgiven. I need my sin removed. I need to be washed in the blood until I'm absolutely cleansed and made clean before God. Now, some of you don't want this. You want to be partners with God. You're like, you're like the disciples in the book of John who are following Jesus after they have the loaves and the fishes. There are some benefits to following Jesus. There is a certain level of peace of mind. There is a certain fellowship. There's a certain social life. There is a certain sense of self-improvement. But when Jesus finally got down to the bottom line and he said, look, don't work for the loaves and fishes because that passes. Eat my broken body and drink my blood. Now, the early Romans, they persecuted the early church. They called them cannibals. They said they taught cannibalism. That's in the physical realm. What foolishness. We're talking here about the spirit realm. But let me be specific about what I mean in the spirit realm. When I say, eat the broken body of Jesus, I am literally saying to you, Recognize that nothing will satisfy the cry of your heart, which is spirit, but Jesus himself. Until you feast only on Jesus, your heart will not be satisfied and the sin will not be removed from your life. And you cannot be saved. Likewise, he says, drink my blood, a spiritual saying. He's saying, let me quench your thirst. So stop drinking the things of this world and trying to find something that will suit your taste or will quench your thirst. 
Nothing in this world will do that for you except Jesus, the broken body and the spilled blood. It's the spilled blood that washes you clean, that cleanses you. The broken body, a a sacrifice of atonement, a priestly sacrifice of atonement for your sins. You can never be at peace and at rest until you feast on the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus. Everything else will leave you hungry and thirsty. Everything else will say, come back and get more. Spend more time in front of that wicked television. Spend more time going to the movies. Spend more time, more time committing fornication. Spend more time consuming the things of darkness. Spend more time watching the football game. Spend more time. And some of you say, yeah, pastor, I've heard you say, but wait, do you really want Jesus? Are you hungry for Jesus? Or are you hungry for the world? It says, having been buried with him in baptism, with whom you were also raised by faith in the working of God, the one having raised him from among the dead, and you being dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having shown himself gracious to us with reference to all the trespasses or sins, having already done away with with the handwriting and the ordinances against us. He took it and nailed it to the cross. He was nailed to the cross, and with him was nailed all of the sin. We don't have to go pick that sin up again. We can live today righteous and clean the same way Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden before the fall. But now you did also voluntarily put off all these things, anger, wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth. You must not lie to one another, having already put off the old man with its practices and having already put on the new man. That word new in the in the Greek means something that never existed before. When you decide that you will follow Jesus, you become a new person. Never before has it existed. You are created, you're created brand new, beautiful, all like Adam and Eve at the creation of the world. Well, we're going to go again on, on Wednesday into this wonderful chapter. We're going to go into this wonderful chapter of thanksgiving and praise. We're out of time for today. I ask, would you bring a thanksgiving gift to Jesus? Would you mail that thanksgiving gift to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. 
we need to pay for this broadcast. If you need to hear this broadcast, then I ask, would you, at the moving of the Holy Spirit, respond? And would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You're welcome to use any of these resources to grow in Christ. Now let me pray for you. Lord, these are not easy things to understand from a modern American view. I plead with you, Jesus, would you call every person who was listening today to begin to read the book of Ephesians, to search after you with all of their hearts, to hunger for you, Jesus, to thirst for you, Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your name. Amen. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.